Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Joining me is Shireen Aladimi, Assistant Professor of Education at Michigan State University. Shireen, thank you for joining me once again. Thanks for having me back. I interviewed you about uh, more than a year ago, right after Biden won. And the question was, was Biden going to end the war in Yemen that he helped start while serving under Obama? And the answer so far, more than a year later, is a resounding no. Let me ask you first just to respond to the latest massacre in the town, the northern town of Sada. The death toll at this point has been has been increased to more than 90 people hitting a detention facility. What do we know about what happened? We know that it was um, another airstrike on a prison. This is not the first time the Saudi-led coalition has attacked a prison or a a migrant detention center. Um, Sada is a northern province that is that borders Saudi Arabia. So they've actually gotten the worst out of um, the worst airstrikes out of any other province. It's where the Houthis originate as well. And so they've basically pummeled that province and continue to um, these massacres in that area, whether we hear about it in the news or not. Uh, in this particular attack, there was a fragment that was, you know, Raytheon uh, bomb fragment that was found in the rubble. There are just horrendous pictures and videos coming out of that. People, I mean, literally just body parts and people trying to identify um, individual human beings through that. So it's just an atrocious um, attack that is significant in the sense that it highlights how much the war has escalated in, in the last few months. And this came shortly after the Saudi-led coalition knocked out the internet to virtually the entire country. Can you talk about what happened there and uh, what's it been like for you of late trying to speak to relatives and friends that you have there? So the internet has been our lifeline to our family and our loved ones in Yemen Um, on Twitter. I, I mean, I created my Twitter account the day the war began so that I can hear from Yemenis on the ground telling us what's been happening in Yemen, what's happening around them. And they've been doing that. Even at sometimes it feels like nobody's been listening or paying attention or few people have. But you know, anytime there's an airstrike, they let us know what's happening. They come online, they say, this is where the airstrike is happening. Here's how we're feeling. Here's what we're going through. And the attack that occurred last Thursday on the um, in the province of Hadid, in the city of Hadid, where I actually have a lot of family members. And it was actually across the street from a family member's apartment. And this telecommunication center was targeted. There were some employees who passed away who were killed. And then there were three children playing in a nearby soccer field who were also killed in the attack. And it disabled the country's internet for four days, four entire days. NetBlocks is a, is a group that was tracking this. And it just shows zero activity because what's happening in Yemen is that it's basically a state-owned monopoly, tele-Yemen. And so when that was targeted, it essentially you know, wiped out all communication from from Yemen. And it was really difficult to hear from family members. I mean, we had to go back the traditional way of, you know, calling cards and trying to contact them through landlines and cell phones that way. Um, I have a cousin who works for an aid agency and he had access to a satellite phone. And so we were getting updates eventually from that that source. Um, But it was really difficult to hear from other family members. It took a couple of days before we could verify that everybody was okay. And is most of the internet back available now? Yeah, it seems like the structure, the, it was structural damage um, and they were able to repair it and it seems to be back right now. As of yesterday, they seem to be back online. Let me ask you about the role of the UAE. They made a big deal about pulling out of the Yemen war and the Biden administration, when it pushed through you know, 
a lot of new weapon sales to them justified it on the basis that the UAE was no longer involved in the war. But now they are, you know, making no secret that they are back in. There was recently a Houthi attack that hit uh, the UAE and the UAE claims to be responding to that. And that's why it's operating. Talk to us about, about their role and really whether they ever actually left the war in Yemen. I mean, it was one big PR move that the UAE um, got a lot of publication, uh, you know, public interest from. This was, I believe, in the summer of 2019, and they announced that they're pulling out troops. What they did was that they pulled out their ground troops. And, you know, Saudi Arabia never had ground troops in Yemen, and they're leading this war. The U.S. doesn't have ground troops in Yemen, and they're leading this war. The UAE had some ground troops, but this was after a series of articles that highlighted the role, the kind of the police state that the UAE was running in South Yemen, which the coalition controls. So they were running these secret prisons, they were torturing people in various ways. And so I think as a response to that, almost, it seems to me that they made this announcement that they're pulling their ground ground troops, but the war continued as usual. The Emirati pilots are bombing alongside the Saudi pilots. The Emiratis are you know, cooperating on many levels. And they actually have interest in various areas as well, like the islands of Socotra, for example. They've all but annexed this island and other Yemeni islands. So they've had a much more in, interesting role than the Saudis in Yemen, uh, much more nefarious role than just bombing. So they didn't really leave. They're trying to position this as a counterattack right now, where the reality is that they haven't stopped bombing Yemen or being involved in this uh, war against Yemen since 2015. So Biden was very clear when he ran, he promised to treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah state. He talked about ending U.S. support for the Saudi-led war on Yemen. And I would make it very clear, we were not going to, in fact, sell more weapons to them. We were going to, in fact, make them pay the price and make them, in fact, the pariah that they are. There's very little social redeeming value of the in the present uh, government in Saudi Arabia. And I would also, as pointed out, I would end and the subsidies that we have and the sale of material to the Saudis who they're going in and murdering children and they're murdering innocent people. And so they have to be held accountable. What has been his record since coming into office? What has he done? So about a year ago, February 4th, he made this uh, first foreign policy announcement and it was about the war in Yemen. And he said, reiterated what he said in the, on the campaign trail with one exception. And I was listening very closely because, of course, people were celebrating. And, you know, this matters to probably me and the Yemeni Americans more than most because there are real consequences on the ground for our loved ones. And he made this interesting distinction for the first time to say that we're ending offensive operations in Yemen. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. At the same time, Saudi Arabia faces missile attacks, UAV strikes, and other threats from Iranian-supplied forces in multiple countries. We're going to continue to support and help Saudi Arabia defend its sovereignty and its territorial integrity and its people. And I co-wrote an article in these times with Sarah Lazar at the time kind of highlighting what, where is this coming from? Where is this language coming from? And what could it mean? Could it mean a rebranding of this war, which is 
what you and I talked about more than a year ago, Biden could just come in and rebrand this war and continue business as usual because all U.S. presidents have had very positive relationships with Saudi Arabia, even when they seem to criticize them. So Obama, for example, was much more critical of Saudi Arabia than Bush was, but he was very willing to support them in this war in Yemen. So when it comes to their um, defense strategies and you know waging wars in that region, they tend to be allies. Um, and I was worried that Biden would be no different. And he, so far, he's proven to be no different than the Trump administration and the um, Obama administration, with the exception that he seems to have convinced a lot of people that he's ending the war, that he has stopped, you know, weapon sales. He hasn't. You know, there were moments where he paused weapon sales and then re- re- renewed them. Um, he said that he stopped intelligence sharing, but he's only really sharing intelligence for defensive purposes. Again, defending whom from what? The Houthis have no capabilities compared to Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, the loss of civilian life is just not comparable uh, when you look at how many hundreds of thousands of Yemeni civilians have already been killed. So this commitment to supporting Saudi Arabia's goals and the U.S.'s own goals in Yemen continues to, we continue to see that with Biden. Just to put some numbers on this, last year, the Biden administration pushed for approval of $23 billion in new weapon sales to the UAE. And just a few months ago in November, pushed through a $650 million weapons deal for Saudi Arabia for mostly uh, air-to-air missiles. And Biden said that these were defensive missiles. Yeah. Again, defending from whom? Um, the Saudis and the UAE don't manufacture their own weapons. They rely almost entirely on the U.S. weapons and then also you know, Canada, the U.K., other countries, but mostly the U.S. Uh, support. And not just with weapons, by the way. The U.S. provides spare parts, maintenance, advising, guiding, training, uh, logistical support, all sorts of things. And now they're just saying, yeah, yeah, we're doing this, but it's for defensive purposes and not offensive purposes. Meanwhile, when you see what's happening on the ground, nothing has changed. And the Saudis are have proven to be them proven to be incompetent along with the Emiratis in leading this war. And so they continue to enjoy US support, um, except that now it's called something different. When I interviewed Rob Malley, who's now Biden's top uh, envoy for Iran for re-entering or or stalling the re-entering or scuttling the re-entering of the Iran nuclear deal, depending on what Biden plans to do. Uh, back, I interviewed him uh, a few years ago. This was uh, during the Trump administration. Malley justified or explained the U.S. Obama's decision to back the Saudi-led war in Yemen by saying that the Obama administration was worried about losing Saudi support for the Iran nuclear deal. But we did suspect the war could go on for a very long time at great human cost. So there was on the one hand, a number of voices expressing concern about that. But on the other hand, many people saying the relationship with Saudi Arabia is almost at breaking point. They believe we betrayed their trust for a number of reasons. But Iran, the Iran Iran deal or the negotiations over the Iran deal was one of them. We needed to protect that deal and make sure that we could get it done, because if we didn't have a deal, there was a risk of a war with Iran. And so I think the decision was made in the end by President Obama to say, we're going to be to support parts of this war, which is to say we will support Saudi Arabia as it's defending its national sovereignty, its territorial integrity, so we'll continue to help them in that respect, but we're not gonna participate in the war against the Houthis. We're not gonna be helping them directly uh, wage that war. I think as you already suggested in what you said, that was a distinction that was pretty hard to maintain in practice. If you support the Saudi Arabia by providing them with weapons, by refueling their aircraft, 
which they then use in whatever way they use, or if you sit with them, as we did, to try to tell them here are areas that you shouldn't bomb because of humanitarian considerations, you become complicit you know, by necessity. And we did get more involved because we continued to refuel, to refuel the airplanes. We continued to sell them, you know, large arms sales, uh, which was done partly because we needed to protect that relationship and partly because there was a view, well, they are being threatened by this non-state actor supported by Iran on their southern border that had toppled a legitimate government. But the more this lasted, the more number of us, I would say, and obviously the president himself, but others as well, were having concerns about, you know, what, what are we getting involved in here? And you right. just described the situation. You know, it's, 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 it is the worst humanitarian situation currently confronting the world. So it's not, it's not an episode I'm particularly proud of. Um, and uh, I think we have to learn from it. The U.S. needed Saudi Arabia's support for the Iran nuclear deal, which is an odd way to speak about a client state that is totally reliant on the U.S. for so many different things, that somehow the U.S. needed to convince Saudi Arabia. And the trade-off was authorizing this massive war in Yemen. What they also say, and they this was said to uh, uh, a for an article in The New Yorker once, is that the reason o- Obama also gave a green light and became involved is because they, with their involvement, they could help reduce civilian casualties. <laughs> yeah, that's been the biggest, um, I mean, it's such a joke. You have, they've created the world's worst humanitarian crisis. And how on earth did they prevent any casualties when there seemed to be no red lines to what they would target? I mean, a coalition that could target a school bus, knowing that it's a school bus full of children going on a field trip and killing them all, along with, you know, people around in the market where the school bus was traveling through. A coalition who targets a school bus has no red lines. And that's what they've shown over and over and over in Yemen under Obama, Trump and now Biden. Um, I sat in a meeting when Biden was trying to get Yemeni American votes before the election. And I was in an online meeting, um, you know, November of 2020. And it was with a um, one of his security advisors. And he said the same thing about Iran, that it was, this person had been advising Obama as well. And they said that, well, we had the Iran deal and the Saudis were very unhappy about the Iran deal. And so we felt like we can give them this support to, you know, essentially destroy an entire country, Yemen, because they felt upset that we excluded them and we passed this Iran deal. I mean, think about how nefarious this is. Think about how criminal this is to wage war illegally, unconstitutionally, immorally on an entire country because you feel like you want to placate your allies. I think the other thing that that, that narrative does that does is it obfuscates, obfuscates the role of the United States in that region. The U.S. is just as interested in suppressing the Houthis as the Saudis are. Um, Yemen has an interesting and important strategic location with controlling Bab al-Mandab Strait. Yemen has been the target and the focus of much of the war on terror um, with you know drone bombings happening in before this war even began. And so they have this interest in maintaining a puppet government as they had in previous decades. And the Houthis have made it known that they will not be a puppet government to either Saudi Arabia or the United States. And so it's very important for these countries to um, assert their dominance in that region, which is why they're really continuing to wage this despite all of what we've seen transpire with the famine and everything else. So Biden has continued backing the war in Yemen, just under a new name, calling it defensive, not offensive. What about Congress? Because under Congress, there was some momentum for a bit, uh, passing uh, measures to limit Trump's uh, support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen. How has Congress been under Biden? Um, Disappointing, in a word. 
um, on January 25th, 2021, so just over a year uh, ago, we had a global rally. And in that rally, in, in, you know, and the rally was get, coming together where people were saying no, no to war in Yemen and uh, no to Western complicity in the war in Yemen. And Congressman Ro Khanna um, kind of mentioned that he would continue pushing for a war powers resolution along with Bernie Sanders in the Senate, just as they did when this was under Trump's um, presidency. And it feels like they seem to have given up and taken Biden for his word uh, when he made the announcement a week later that he's ending offensive operations in Yemen. And it's been very difficult to build interest. There was an NDAA that kind of sponsored um, to try to prevent weapon sales to the coalition back in the summer, in the fall. But this, um, you know, it's been a year. Where have they been? They've sent a lot of letters to the Biden administration about their support for the blockade, about opening Sana'a Airport, about um, clarifying the defensive versus offensive. There's so many letters that Congress has been sending to the to the administration, and the administration has not responded. They've not made clear anything. And so, where are the hearings? Where are the verifications that this is in fact happening? That we are now only providing defensive versus offensive support, whatever that means. Where is the evidence? Why have they just taken Biden's word for? It and not pushed for another war powers resolution that would force the administration to abide by this, if it, you know, and and if it gets vetoed, of course, it looks terrible for the guy who said that he's ending the worst humanitarian crisis on earth. And so it's been disappointing, but we are trying to continue to build support. Um, they have there has been interest from some members of Congress, um, and I hope that we continue to push them to do their job to be held accountable, hold the president accountable, because if they're not doing that, then they too are complicit in the war crimes that are happening in Yemen. Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who is known as a critic of the Saudi war, he was one of the senators who voted to approve that weapons deal we discussed earlier, that $650 million in new uh, air-to-air missiles for Saudi Arabia, which Chris Murphy described as, just like Biden, defensive weapons. Yeah, he did. And Chris Murphy is unique in that he was one of very few, if not the only Democrat under Obama willing to push back against this war. Back in 2015, when no Democrat was talking about this, he partnered with some with Rand Paul at the time and they passed. They tried to get support for a weapons bill that would have ended U.S. support, uh, U.S. weapons to Saudi Arabia. So for him to then turn around after all of these years and then co-sponsoring the War Powers Resolution uh, and to say, yeah, well, it's defensive and not offensive. It's just hypocritical. It's criminal. He is complicit in war crimes now by virtue of approving this weapon sales, knowing fully well that it's going to be used on Yemenis. I mean, where else are the Saudis? Why, why else are the Saudis buying it? They're not stockpiling. They've been using our weapons for the past seven years. Um, and, you know, for Chris Murphy to then come on Twitter and to say that this attack is not proportional, proportional to what? You know that they've been carrying out this ACES, uh, you know, uh, asymmetrical warfare in Yemen, um, genocide really, trying to blockade the entire country and starve them to death. And you expect them to use these weapons responsibly, whatever that means. Um, so I think it's been very disappointing. I've called him out on Twitter, but uh, it's just, you know, and Mehdi Hassan called him out on in his interview with him um, not too long ago, but it just kind of highlights what we're working against here. It feels like it, it was a bit easier, feels like it was much easier to work with Congress on this issue when it was Trump's war, because of course, everything Trump did was awful. But where is that, you know, where's that fire now that 
Biden as president because Yemenis are still dying. Um, they're still being starved to death. They're still getting bombed. And it's just business as usual. Well, you know, I'm someone who argued that there was a greater chance of Biden ending the uh, U.S. support for the Saudi-led war in Yemen than there would be if Trump were to be reelected. But so far, I think I've been shown to be wrong as Biden basically just continues the war with a kinder, gentler face. Um, let me ask you about one, uh, one related aspect is that so one of the few positive things I think you can say that Biden has done when it comes to Yemen is that when he came into office, he reversed this last minute order from Trump that would designate the Houthis, the, the Houthis uh, as a terrorist organization. And as aid groups warned, that designation would have basically cut off aid to all the territory that the that the Houthis control, which is a large part of Yemen. But now there is talk in Washington, the Biden administration is considering reversing his decision and reimposing the designation that Trump imposed on his way out the door. This designation would be absolutely catastrophic for the people of Yemen and would literally spell out the starving of millions and millions of people. Many are already starving. This would just ensure that they will all die and that more will starve. And I wish I'm being uh, you know, extreme here and exaggerating. I'm not. And it's because while the Houthis <clears throat> control a smaller portion of Yemen, if you see it on the map, about 70 to 80 percent of the population lives there. And so it's the most populous area. And once you designate them, they are the de facto government of Yemen in northern Yemen, whether we like them or not, whether people like them or not, that is the reality on the ground. They are the de facto government. And when you designate them as, as a terrorist group, then aid organizations aren't going to be able to operate in those regions. Those of us sending money back home are not going to be able to do that because banks won't work in those regions. And so people are left without salaries because of the war, because, you know, the Heidi government switched the central bank to the south and then refused to pay people in the north their salaries. So government workers not have not been receiving salaries. Uh, people are reliant on aid. The aid is trickling through because um, even though the port is functional in northern Yemen, the Saudis just hold the fuel and they hold the food and they hold the water and um, they're they don't allow everything to come in as it should. And so designating that would just spell a death sentence for all of these Yemenis. And for Biden to even mention that casually, it's, you know, just to casually mention, oh, yeah, this uh, genocidal war crime, I'm considering it, is horrendous. It's horrific. And to think that he's just using this as a, as, I mean, he's just doing exactly what Trump did. Like he's saying that I will use this as a way to escalate the war, as a way to get the Houthis to surrender, and who cares what happens to the rest of the Yemeni population? We wrap. Any words you want to leave us with about Yemen, and any suggestions for what people can do if they want to get involved in stopping the war? I, I mean, it's absolutely still a U.S.-led war in Yemen, and we can't forget that. No matter what the headlines say, um, no matter what CNN or MSNBC, when they do choose to cover this issue, no matter what they say, this is a U.S.-sponsored war. This war cannot continue uh, in Yemen without the participation of the United States. And uh, we really have to push our, our you know, representative in Congress and to hold them accountable and to really be explicit about what their inaction means for Yemenis. Inaction means that people are starving to death. There's a website called Every 75 Seconds, every7.org or .com. Um, every 75 seconds, a child is dying in Yemen because they're being starved. A child under the age of five, by the way, so older children are dying as well um, because they're being starved to death. And we continue to support this genocide against the Yemeni people. So I think we really have to understand our responsibility, not just feel pity for what's going on, but to 
think of it as our responsibility to end this war and to show up in town halls and to question uh, our lawmakers and to send letters and to write op-eds and to really question Biden's support uh, and not let him off the hook and not let Congress off the hook. Doreen Aladimi, Assistant Professor of Education at Michigan State University. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.